As he introduced, my name is Michael Amatuzo. I'm the student pastor here. If we have not met before, I would love to meet you. Come find me, please, after the service. Um, I'd love to get to know you. But man, as we were worshiping today, I was continually reminded how grateful I am for Genesis Church. I am so thankful for this church, but I was also reminded how thankful I am for Christ Church, that there are people all over the world who are meeting um, for the same reason that we're meeting, um, that our collective worship and our prayers and our building one another up and encouraging one another in Christ, um, all of that is just this small glimpse of heaven that we get to experience one day. And I'm so grateful um, for the church. And if you're new to Genesis, I want you to know that's why we gather each week. Um, we gather each week because uh, we have a creator, um, a heavenly father, who we are, our souls were created to worship and to be in communion with him and with one another. And so that's why we get together each week and we worship him and we declare his name. And today, uh, I hope to encourage and build up the church as we continue our study in the book of Acts. Um, and I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit, he's going to work in each of our hearts just as God's word promises he will. And so if you have your Bible, um, turn this morning to Acts 22. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats below. You can grab one of those. And if you do not own a Bible, you don't have one at home, please take that Bible as our gift um, to you today, free gift. You can have that. Now, I'm going to give you just a quick preview. We're in Acts 22. Paul is about to share, the Apostle Paul is about to share his encounter that he had with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And if that sounds familiar to you, that's because back in Acts 9, we looked at the story unfold where, where Paul encounters Jesus. But what's unique today about this story is it's the first time Luke, the writer of Acts, um, is, is writing and describing where Paul is going to share publicly for the first time, at least what we have recorded, uh, publicly his story. He's going to share what happened in his life. Um, and the other unique part about that is that Paul is not sharing this to a crowd of people who are, who are willing listeners, but instead it's a mob of people who want Paul killed. Uh, and so that's where we're going to be picking up today. But here's my hope for us today. My hope is that just as Jesus called Paul to use his story to share God's story with others, Jesus actually calls all of us to do the same. But before we get into this, will you pray with me today? Father, I'm so grateful um, for your church. I'm so grateful for uh, that we get to meet safely. That is not the case for, um, for others of our brothers and sisters of Christ around the world. God, thank you for a place to be able to declare your name, to worship you, to be with um, your sons and daughters. Holy Spirit, will you work in us? Um, will you speak to us individually like you always do? Will you um, convict our hearts, encourage our hearts, do whatever it is, the, whatever work you want to do in us, so that today we leave here looking more like your son than we did when we arrived? And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you are movie theater goers? You guys like to go to the movie theater? Anyone? Okay, a few of you. I enjoy movies. I enjoy a good movie. You can just about watch anything nowadays from home with the click of a button, but I like the experience of going somewhere and driving there and going to a theater, um, the popcorn, um, all of those things. But there's, there's one thing if you've gone to the theater that you may have experienced before, and that's one, arriving 
uh, early, or arriving late, excuse me, early. That's what my family did. We arrived so we could see like the previews of the last movie and before the, it was a long wait. Anyway, but if you arrive late, what happens if you miss the beginning of that movie? Um, you could miss something really, really important. Or, this is the worst, you're halfway through the movie and you realize I should not have had two of those jumbo drinks that I just gobbled down. And so now I have to use the restroom and I don't want to leave because if I leave, I'm going to miss something really important. And when I come back now, for some reason, the scientist is a huge green monster called the Hulk and I have no idea what's going on. Anybody experienced that before? Maybe not the specifics of the Hulk, right? But my wife and I have an agreement. Like if we leave, it's kind of an unspoken agreement. When we come back, we fill each other in. Hey, what happened? Tell me what happened. It's a little bit like that today. If we just jump into Acts 22, it's going to feel like you left the movie and came back and you're a little confused. And so I want to bring us up to speed before we get into Acts 22. So hold your spot there. I promise we'll get there. Um, but here's, here's what's going on. Last week, we, we wrapped up Acts 20, and Jerry shared with us that Paul was departing. He was leaving um, the Ephesian elders, but he makes this comment to them, and it gives us a clue of where he's going and what he's up to. So in Acts 20, 22 through 23, he says this to them, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So we know that Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, but these four words, compelled by the Spirit, are really important because this is Luke's way, the writer of Acts, of reminding us that it's God's Holy Spirit that is directing and guiding Paul. And this isn't our focus today, but while it's not our focus, it is the backdrop of Acts as we've been studying through it. We're in this series called Sent, and we need to continually be reminded um, that this isn't just the Acts of the Apostles, but it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the disciples in the early church and the Apostles. And so that's what's happening here. That's why I highlight that today, because it's not just Paul saying to the Ephesian elders, hey, I think, I think maybe I'll go to Jerusalem and see what's up. Or, hey, I have this this gut feeling that I should go to Jerusalem. But no, it's the Holy Spirit that is compelling me and guiding me to go to Jerusalem. And two more times in the next chapter, 21, which we don't have time to get into today, um, I asked if I could have an hour and they said no. So we'll just do 22. Um, but in Acts 21, um, we see that the Holy Spirit is going to warn Paul two different times of what is going to happen if he enters into Jerusalem. And it says this in Acts 24.1 or 21.4, it says, through the Spirit, they urge Paul not to go. And then his next stop, a few verses later, the prophet Agabus grabs Paul's belt, binds himself with it, and says this to Paul. The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, we need to understand that these warnings are not God's spirit telling Paul, you are going the wrong direction, turn around and leave. It's actually the opposite. It's, it's affirmation that the Holy Spirit is at work in Paul and others, and it's God's way of preparing Paul for what he is about to go through and what he is about to experience. This is some more specific news, but it's not new news, right? We just looked at Acts 20, where Paul said, I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and I don't know what's going to happen, but what I do know is the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and other hardships are facing me anywhere I go. And so the Holy Spirit is preparing Paul for what's about to happen. 
And it really is only after a week of Paul arriving in Jerusalem um, that he's going to start experiencing what the Spirit was preparing him for. And by the end of chapter 21, what we learn is that Paul's been there for about a week. He was meeting with some Gentiles, which simply means he was meeting with those who were not Jewish. And some Jewish leaders and others in the city begin to shout out accusations about Paul, false accusations, um, that he speaks against their Jewish laws, um, that he actually took one of the non-Jews into the temple. And after being falsely accused of these things, a huge riot breaks out. And Luke describes this riot as the entire city city, the whole city being in an uproar. And after this mob breaks out, or after this riot breaks out, a mob of people actually attack Paul, beating him nearly to his death before a Roman officer steps in trying to take care of some of the situation. So he arrests Paul, which actually saves Paul's life. And for a moment, it kind of just brings the riot to a halt. We'll pause for a second because that's a long restroom break, right? A lot of stuff has happened since we left off last week to where we are today. Um, so we need to understand everything that's going on in Paul's life building up to this moment. It's in the middle of all of this chaos that Paul looks to the Roman officer and asks him for permission to speak to this angry mob of people. And he is granted permission to speak to them. And that's where we pick up in Acts 22. But once more, what do we see going on in the background here? We see the power of the Holy Spirit, that Paul is given courage and boldness to speak before people who want him dead. I don't know about you. I have a hard enough time building up courage to share my faith story uh, with any given person, let alone a crowd of people who want me dead. But I also think there's another thing that's happening here with Paul. Paul, um, he has a great and deep love for the Jewish people. And we need, to, we need to understand this, that these are his people. He understood them. He is one of them. Um, and his love for them goes deeper than just emotional feelings. Um, in Paul's letter that he wrote to the church in Rome, which is believed to be written a year or two before all of this stuff takes place, Paul writes this in Romans 9, 2 through 3 about his people. He says, My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. He says, I would be willing to be forever cursed and even cut off from Christ if that would save them. Now, we all have people in our lives that are, that, that are our people. We get them, they get us, we understand them. But I'm not sure how many of us in this room today would be willing to make the claim that Paul made. You know what? I would, I would be willing to be cut off from Christ for these people. This is not just an emotional attachment. He has a deep love for his people. And we're going to see that as we read through this story. It's important for us to understand how much he cares for them. And so as I promised, we'll get to Acts 22. Acts 22, verse 1, Paul addresses the crowd and he says, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. This detail is important because Paul just was speaking to the Roman officer in Greek. And then he turns to the crowd and he speaks to them in their language. So now he has the crowd's attention and they're leaning in and they're listening. And then Paul said, 
I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city, and I studied under Gamaliel, and I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors, and I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Paul starts off with his defense, sharing his story with them by doing such an incredible thing here. He starts with his commonalities with the Jewish people. He's telling them, I get you. I am one of you. I speak your language. I grew up in this same city all of you live in. I studied under a rabbi like many of you did. He is appealing to everything that they have in common. And it's hard for us maybe to fully grasp um, why all of this is so significant, but everything that Paul is sharing with this crowd is earning him great credibility with them. Um, because we, we know that Paul, based on what he's sharing, he was a successful Jew. Like he wasn't just, uh, he was a successful Pharisee. When he mentions the fact that he studied under Gamaliel, he is telling the crowd, hey, you know that prestigious rabbi? I studied under him. They would know that. He is helping them understand. I wasn't just one of you. I was successful among you. And why, why is that important? Well, because he is about to help them understand that all of his zeal and his passions and his success, as soon as he met Jesus, he realized they're all misplaced. And I want to pause just for a second to say that applies to us today as well. There are many people in here, as I look around this room, very successful people in this room. Many of you have friends, coworkers who would look at you as a success, a success. You may even look at yourself as a success or you're looking in your career to be a success. And I'll say this, just to be clear, there is nothing wrong with working hard to be successful in wherever you are um, in your career, whatever that looks like in your life. But just like Paul, we have to realize apart from Jesus, none of that matters that we are still in dire need of saving. And that's what Paul is trying to communicate to this crowd. And so he continues on saying, hey, you think that you were zealous? I was just as zealous as any of you are today. I persecuted, verse four, I persecuted the followers of this way. He's speaking about the Christians. To their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. And as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus. And I went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Now, it kind of sounds like Paul is bragging or egging on the crowd, like, hey, here's, look how prestigious and successful I was. And you think that you were zealous? Like, for God, like, I was way more zealous. Like, think about it. You tried to kill me, but you didn't succeed. I killed Christians. He's not bragging, though, right? He's, it's actually him sharing some of his story and it's remorse, but it's really empathizing with them and helping them understand, like, I understand. He doesn't say this, right? But I understand your misplaced zeal for God, okay? Like, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are. So he continues on and he says, about noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me and I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Side note, if you're wondering why he's being called Saul, Paul went by a couple of names, Saul and Paul. And he responds and he says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. And then he described that his companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who is speaking to me. This is a crucial part of Paul's story because this is where his life takes a turn. Um, if you think about the crowd that's listening and they're leaning in as he's speaking their language, this is the part of the story that's going to shock them a little bit. 
They understand his upbringing. They get that. They understand who he studied under. And now he's saying, okay, and then on my way there, I, I met someone. And guess what? It was the Lord. And guess what? You know what, I, you know what I learned? I learned that I was wrong. That's what he's communicating to the crowd. I, re- I realized I was wrong. Like I thought that I was, I thought that I was honoring God, the God of our ancestors by, by persecuting these Christians. And then I met Jesus on the way to Damascus and I realized I was persecuting God himself. I was wrong. And if you're a believer in the room today, then you have probably had a very similar encounter as Paul may not look the exact same, but at some point, Jesus revealed himself to you. At some point, God became real. He made himself known to you. And in that moment, you had one of those, um, as the old hymn, Amazing Grace describes the, I once was blind, but oh, now I see. Now it makes sense. Now I get it. A moment and a realization where all of your zeal and your passion or lack thereof, you realize this is all misplaced that I've actually been persecuting the one who came to save me. And just like Paul, all of us have to, at some point in our lives, recognize that we are the ones who are wrong, that we're the sinner, that we are the ones in need of a savior. And then look how Paul responds to Jesus. He says, okay, what shall I do, Lord? And this comment is, Lord, master, like you're in charge. Tell me what to do. And he says, get up, the Lord said, and go to Damascus. And there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions then led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. And a man named Ananias, he came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all, all of the Jews living there. Notice there in verse 12, he mentions that Ananias is an observer of the law, highly respected by all of the Jews. He's continually, he's trying to earn credibility with the crowd. This guy was respected among you, sent by God. Listen what he's going to say to me. He stood beside me and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Verse 14, then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. If verse 15 sounds a little familiar, It's because it is. Jesus said almost the same thing to his disciples back at the beginning of Acts before he ascends into heaven in Acts 1.8. He tells his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses. And then he describes cities and then says to the ends of the earth, you will be my witnesses to all people. Paul was being told that he would be a witness for Jesus um, of everything he had seen and heard. And for us as the church, that's, that's what it means for us to be a witness for Christ. That's what it means to share our story with others. It's telling other people what you have seen and heard of Jesus. You see, God wants to use your story to tell his story. That's what he was doing with Paul. That's what he did with the disciples. That's what he did with the early church. And it's what he wants to do with the church today. We are to be witnesses of everything we have seen and heard. And that is telling people your story and where God enters in. My story 
is nothing like Paul's story. I don't have a blinding light story. I don't have this, this contrast of I was living this way and then dramatically I started living this way. I grew up homeschooled. I grew up in a Christian home. Um, we had godly rules and morals in our house. Um, but I, and I remember like we were not specifically, and if you're homeschooled or you've grown up um, in, a, in a Christian home, you'll understand this. We were not allowed to use the S word in our house. Shut up, I know. Jerry gave me permission to say it. Um, I did ask him. That's what my seven-year-old ca calls it. The other, the other day she came to me and said, Michael said the S word. And I was like, what is the S word? Shut up, okay. Um, that's my upbringing, right? I remember a, as a four-year-old sitting in church, we were taking communion. I wanted juice and the, the bread. And so I asked my mom if I could take it. And so she shared with me a four-year-old version of the gospel. And I prayed a prayer and I took communion. And ever since then, my life was dramatically changed. I went on living like a four-year-old. The communion was subpar, right? And I moved on with life. But then I remember as a middle schooler, I had these vivid reoccurring dreams of the world coming to an end, like terrifying dreams. But I remember, I remember in the dream thinking, where will I go when the world ends? Like what will happen at the end of my life? Will I, will I be in heaven or will I be in hell? And I woke up the next morning and I lived like a middle schooler. Like nothing really changed. You have middle schoolers, you know what that's like. Um, and life went on, but one day, as a 15-year-old, a friend of mine invited me to a youth camp that I was very reluctant to go to, and I went. And it was, and I don't know why, but it was in that moment that Jesus revealed himself to me. It was in that moment that I had the, oh, now I see. Like, now it makes sense. Like, God, I've heard about you. I've heard about your son. I, I know about your, your way of living and what you've called us to, but, but none of that mattered until that moment that I encountered Jesus. And I went back home, and I was still a 15-year-old, and um, I still had those struggles, and life at home stayed the same, um, and I didn't have this dramatic change, but what did dramatically change was my heart, because now um, I wanted to live in a way that honored God. I wasn't perfect at it, but I desired to live in a way that honored him. I began to think differently, and I began to treat people differently. Even my brothers and sisters, I treated differently. Like, I, I began to allow God to work on me and challenge me. And I share my story with you not because it's flashy or dramatic um, as Paul's, but because it testifies to everything that God has done. And I share my story um, because the power of my story, the power of your story really has nothing to do with who you are or what you've done, but it has everything to do with what God did in you. And the same is true with Paul's story. That we, and we are called to share that story to highlight God and everything he is doing and everything he wants to do in others as well. But here's the thing, by the end of Acts 22, we don't have time to get into it today, but the angry crowd, they reject Paul. Okay, they reject Paul. They reject Jesus. They shout out to that they, that they say, rid the earth of him. Like he is not fit to live. They want nothing to do with Paul. And here's the harsh reality is that when you or when we share the truth of Jesus with others, some people are gonna reject it. Like it, it will be sweet for some but it's going to be bitter in the mouth of others. It's, it's going to be received with open arms by some, but then some will shrug their shoulders and they will laugh at it. It's gonna bring great joy to some people and it's gonna anger other people. Uh, some people, they're going to love you for sharing it and others, they'll hate you because of it. 
Some of you may have experienced that in your life by trying to share your faith with them. But we are not called to be witnesses to those who might receive the good news. We're called to be witnesses to all people of what we have seen and heard. And I find it encouraging and instructive that Paul, this is not the first time that he, uh, this is not the only time I should say that he will share his story. Um, Just four chapters later, if you want to read ahead today in Acts 26, Paul will share his story again, but with a completely different audience. He'll share it with Gentiles, those who are not Jews, those who did not have the same upbringing as him, those who came from a pagan culture and worshiped pagan gods who do not understand his God, uh, the God that he had served. They, they, they don't get it, but Paul still faithfully shares his story. And what I find fascinating, if you read through uh, the way that he shares his story in Acts 26, is it looks a little different. So many pieces are the same because he's telling them his story, but he's not trying to relate with them, connect with them in a way that like, hey, I know you. He doesn't know them but he still faithfully shares his story because God calls us to share our story with all people. And then again, Paul will go on to share his story to encourage the church. If you look at some of his letters to the church, he'll share about his past and how God transformed his life. So our story can even be an encouragement to believers. We're to share our story with the people that we know, the people that we get, and the people that we don't know, and the people we don't get. We're to share it with unbelievers and believers alike. And here's the motivation that Paul had, and I believe the early church had, and it's the, it's the motivation uh, we should have when it comes to why should I share my story with all people Well, Paul writes this in his first or in his second letter to the church in Corinth. He says, it's Christ's love. It's Christ's love that should compel us. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who now live, those who live in Christ should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This is our mission as followers of Jesus. It's our mission even here at Genesis Church. We want to help people find their way back to God. You read a few more verses down in this passage and you'll find our mission statement um, of helping people find their way back to God that Paul is telling them, you are a part of what God wants to do in others. He's actually inviting you into the work of what Paul says is reconciliation, meaning we are called to help restore other people back to God. That is a pretty incredible thing. Does everybody receive it? No, but it's the work that we're called to. So let's get really practical for a moment. Because this passage right here, I don't share it with you to inspire you. Um, This passage only speaks volumes to those of us who have encountered Jesus and have been impacted by his love. We understand what Paul is talking about. But if we're gonna get practical, I think we have to ask ourselves this question. Some of you may know the answer to this already. But the first question is this, what is your story? If we're to share our story with other people, we have to be able to identify what is my story. Paul was ready to share his story. And I bet if I was to talk to some of you in this room, some of you could share your story in 30 seconds, 60 seconds. Some of you might need a couple hours to work through the story. I have found it is really helpful, really helpful to be able to share your story in 30 to 60 seconds. Um, because there are opportunities all the time in passing at a grocery store, at a gas station, where you might run into somebody and being able to just share your story in that moment in 30 or 60 seconds with somebody can be so impactful. Um, 
I also think it can be powerful if people have the time for you to share the four-hour version. Like there, are, there are moments and there are times for that. But we need to know and we need to be able to articulate and share our story. So what is your story? And the second one is this, who needs to hear it? Who in your life needs to hear the story, the, thing that God, the things that God has done in your life? Who is that? It may be the people you relate with. It may be the people you get and you understand, like Paul. My people are church people. And when I say church people, I mean church people who haven't really submitted their life to Christ yet. Um, because that was me. I grew up in the church and I remember just existing in the church. And so I relate with those people. As a student pastor, when I'm speaking to students who have, uh, at Genesis specifically, are largely growing up in a Christian home and in the church, I remember being where they are. I remember having the questions that they have. I remember just kind of like going along with emotions and being a part of the church. And so I try my best, it's no secret students, by the way, who are in the room. I try to leverage that because I, I know where you've been. I get it. I have been where you have been. Um, but maybe it's the, it also needs to be shared with people that you don't know. There might be neighbors, coworkers, um, others that you don't really relate with. They have a completely different upbringing, but they need to hear the work that God has done in you because God wants to use your story to share his story with them. Or maybe it needs to be with other believers as well. I remember a few years ago, the group that I, the small group that I was in, um, we had this realization as we were kind of opening up group and we were talking that we didn't know each other's story. Like we had been in a group together for two, three plus years. And many of us in that room did not know each other's stories. And so we just said, let's just take the night and share our stories, where we came from. Like we started at birth to where we were today. And it was some of the most encouraging. Uh, it was one of the most encouraging and impactful nights that we had as a small group. And so maybe that's something you need to do. That's also a safe place to practice your story is just telling other people what, uh, where you were and where you are now and what God has done in you, because God wants to use your story to tell his story. But what about if you're in this room today and you'd say, okay, I have a story, but at no point in my story does God intersect. At no point in my story is, does God exist in that. Well, I'll just, I'll just tell you from my own experience. I don't know why it was 15 years old at youth camp that God revealed himself to me. And I don't know how God wants to choose, when and how he wants to choose to reveal himself to you. Um, but today may be that day for you. Today can be that now I see moment, like now it makes sense because God is constantly revealing himself through his spirit. That's his work. And all you have to do is just respond like Paul. What did Paul say? What shall I do, Lord? You're in charge. I get it. I understand. You're master. What shall I do? And in Romans 10, 9, Paul makes this declaration that is so helpful. He says, if you declare with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, Paul, Paul knew and had heard about the Jesus, uh, supposed Jesus who was the son of God who came to the earth to pay for everyone's sin and that he died and he rose again, but it wasn't until he met him on the road to Damascus that he believed. And if today um, you want to declare that for the first time, we would love to know. I would love for you to come find me after service and tell me or find one of our staff members or our prayer team that will be meeting over here and let us know today God revealed himself to me. Today, I want to follow him. 
Or maybe you just want to, you want to share your story and you have lots of questions. I would love to talk to you. We would love to talk to you today. Please come find me after service. But I would say this, if you are declaring today that Jesus is Lord, that you want to give your life over to him, then why stop there? Because Paul continues in the very next verse. We left off at verse 15 in Acts 22. This is the first question Paul was asked after his eyes were opened. It was this, and now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. If you've given your life to Jesus, whether it's today for the first time or a few days ago or at some point in your life and you've not been baptized, I want to ask you the same question Paul was asked. What are you waiting for? At the end of this month, as Paul mentioned in his video earlier, we are celebrating baptisms. Um, that's an awesome opportunity for you to be baptized here. And if you have questions about what, baptisms, uh, what baptism represents or what it is or why we do that, I'd love to talk with you. But simply put, Jesus modeled baptism. He told his disciples to share the good news with others and to baptize them in his name. And baptism is simply a demonstration of what God is doing, the transformation he's doing in you, that when you are going under that water, you're saying, I'm dying to my old self. And as I come up, I'm gonna live new for Christ. And I am, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so if you, would love to, if you would like to be baptized or you have questions, please come find me, find one of our staff, find our prayer team. We'll point you in the right direction because we'd love for you to have an opportunity to do that. We're gonna do what we do each week here at Genesis, or most weeks. We're gonna respond in worship through praising our Savior. Will you stand with me? And I'm gonna pray this morning, but I, I don't wanna tell you what to do. I just want whatever God is prompting you to do today for you to respond that way. Because God's spirit is speaking to each of us. For some of us, it's just gonna be responding, and I don't wanna say just, for some of us, it's gonna be responding in worship to just thank God for everything he has done. The way that he uh, intersects in our story, the things that he did in us, it's responding saying, God, you are worthy of all of my praise. God, you're worthy of all of it. And I want to learn how to be compelled and controlled by your love to be a witness to others. God, you are worthy. I'm just gonna praise you today. For some of you, it's going to be um, responding declaring that Jesus is Lord or responding um, in baptism, whatever it is, um, please, if you want to speak with somebody or you want prayer, we'll be available over here during this last song and after service. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus. God, would you give those of us who need it today the boldness to leave here and have our story, really your story, on our lips everywhere we go. That we might be able to be a witness to others, to all people, of everything that we have seen and heard. That it would be the love of God that compels us. Everything that you did in us, we just, we, we just wanna tell, we can't wait to tell people of what we've seen and heard. Holy Spirit, I trust that you are working in our hearts. Do what only you can do. And we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen.